podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What did the pirate pay for his earrings? Buccaneer. <laughs> like that, yeah. Short and snappy. Didn't see it coming. I very much got the memo about the short and snappy ones, Laz. Yeah. I um I like that you giggled a little bit to yourself after telling that, mate. Always. Um, I also like that it was short and snappy, but now I feel like I should say you should try and mix it up a little bit more. Okay. I don't, want you, I don't want you to rest on your laurels. I mean, I've got some longer yeah, ones. Yeah, keep on his toes. I just thought that was a good one for this week, but duly noted. I'll note it down in the book of Lawrence's joke <laughs> feedback. <laughs> Why this week? Have you, are there Are there pirates around you? No, I just, it was just in my joke list and I thought, why not? Could have, could have waited for the start of the NFL season, but I'm not that smart. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's because you've got so I'm... many good ones waiting, Nate, isn't it? So yeah, that's, that's it. Exactly it. Exactly it. Good I'm going to give that a six. Oh, okay, I liked it. So it was sliding down, five. sliding down the order. No, and no bonus points this week. So, no, yeah, I get it. Medis didn't really laugh. Medis gave like a ha. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, it, it was so short and snappy that it made me kind of go, oh, I couldn't even, my brain couldn't even catch up with trying to think of an answer, but it wouldn't have got that one. So I was like, ah, good. So I think six is fair. I, I think maybe, Nate, what's affected this is that obviously you're sunning yourself in Barcelona, you're in holiday mode, and maybe, just maybe, you, you didn't put your best work forward today. You think I've got complacent? Maybe. Let's let's see. Let's see as the pod as the pod goes on. Let's see how complacent I've got. Might be you. Might be, you might be right. Welcome to the Paddock, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Bretto, F1 correspondent and presenter. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN. And I like the way that we're setting Nate up for someone who goes on holiday after every race now. <laughs> uh, he went to New York after Miami, now we say he's in holiday mode after Barcelona. Uh, although, that's a tale of woe, isn't it, Nate? Well, it's it's more. It's, it's also because it's it's far cheaper to stay out here. I know that's going to sound absolutely ridiculous to people listening, but to fly back for two days and then come back to Nice <clears throat> was so expensive that staying out in Barcelona and then flying to Nice from here turned out to be way cheaper. But also, uh, Saturday evening rolled around. Uh, I was with Meadows and Lawrence Edmondson. I realized I hadn't actually booked my flight from Barcelona to Nice, which was meant to be Monday. And I was meant to be staying in Nice for the next few days. So I had to very very last minute. And, that, and and if you ever want to make something more expensive, you should book a flight a day before or a, day, a few days before uh, you you want it for. So I ended up pushing it back to Wednesday and finding a cheaper place to stay in Barcelona, uh, which isn't a bad city to stay in at all. Uh, very underrated place in terms of the F1 calendar. Everyone talks about a lot of other places, but Barcelona is great. Probably the reason being it's because circuit's quite a long way away from Barcelona. Uh, it, does, it never feels like it is actually the Barcelona GP, but... um. But yeah, so I've been, I, I don't think, I can remember the last time I've done a pod from England. In a long time. Hey. I tra- the train agrees. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think, actually, it's a good point. So your last one, so last week you were in Spain already? Yeah. Last week you did it. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Last week I did it from home. So basically, <laughs> it's been precisely <laughs> six days. Since um, there you go. Does it Great feel a long it. time that you've been in Spain for then, Nate? I feel like this is going to be my most complacent episode yet. <laughs> this could be bad. <laughs> I mean, for listeners you can't see, he's leant back against the wall. It looks like he's already taken it easy. Given up. He's checked out. I'm gonna try and um, I'm gonna try and hype him up with the one and only review that does have a Nate Saunders reference in it. Oh. It's from Is It Snowing, who's in the UK. Uh, uh, which no, is uh, it's not, it's not no, snowing. It's raining. But it's uh, it's an obsession that we have, isn't it? Like whenever it snows, it's suddenly like wee snow day. Um the review is five stars. Yeah. And it's titled Fifty One Percent Informative. 49% pointless. <laughs> Over, overall glorious, which I really like. Um, and I think that's pretty accurate. Probably too informative, actually, in that way too. But uh, the review says, this podcast features three friends working in a similar field. Imagine sitting at the bar on a Friday evening, overhearing three friends talking about what they did during their week, bantering with each other. If you travel frequently and have experienced jet lag, then this perfect podcast is for you. Because at any given point of time, at least one of them is jet lagged. One of them yeah. tells jokes to start with and then gets judged quite harshly from time to time. Then they spend some time talking about reviews. So I guess this is a review of them talking about reviews. Then two of them talk about golf. Well, one of them talks about how much he despises the other two talking about golf. With the rest of the time, they talk F1. They love Gasly. I mean, that is a very accurate review. Yeah. I feel like someone just looked into my soul. Um, yeah, that was good. We should Thank use that in promotional material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it snowing? Said. <laughs> said <laughs> take it to take it to take it to people take the sponsors like look what is it snowing said um it'll be a massive billboard somewhere next to motorway we'll just we'll just put it up with the quote like our our logo and like the quote of uh then two of them talk about golf is it snowing um and people will be like oh i must listen one thing he didn't mention was nate's 62nd review <gasps> he did yeah not. that's true and it's surely it's time I believe that is the perfect segue. If you've only got one minute to spare, want to know who finished when and where, sit back, relax, because we got you. Here's Nate with the 60-second review. Donde? ¿Qué me metiste? ¿Cómo pediste? It's time for my review of the Spanish Grand Prix. So without further adukes, let's get going, shall we? Three, two, one. And boom, first position was Max Verstappen. See what I'm doing there? I'm, I'm channeling the rage of Max Verstappen. Second, Sergio Perez has been demoted from defence minister. He's now Minister of Compliance in Mexico. Third position, George Russell, solid as always. Fourth position, Carlos Sainz, caught out by a Rosberg-sized gale at turn four. And all the signs are he's struggling with the pressure. See what I did there? Turn that word into a different word. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, I mean, this guy's pretty good, isn't he? Expecting big things from this young whippersnapper. Sixth place, hang this man's butt in the Louvre. It's Valtteri Bottas. Seventh was Ocon. Eighth, Norris, you don't need tonsils to drive fast. Ninth, Alonso, the only Spaniard who could navigate traffic this weekend. Tenth, Yuki. Nothing rhymes with Sonoda, but you know what rhymes with point? Anoint. I'm going to anoint him one of my favourite drivers. Man, I'm good. Eleventh, Vettel. Twelfth, Ricardo. I'm going to have to start pleading the fifth on Danny Rick, because I don't know what's going on there. Thirteenth place, we love you, Gasly. Fourteenth, Mick. Man, you've got to get a point soon. Uh, in 15th, 16th was the Canadians. 17th, K-Mag, very unlucky at the beginning. Albon, he had red hair and he was 18th. 19th, Guan Yu Zhou. Ah, and Charles Leclerc. I knew it would happen. It was going to happen. Ferrari. Man. <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely lost, like, words at the end for Ferrari, which I think is fair. 
I think um, that's because you used such good ones before that. I was I, very impressed. I had used a lot of my words actually by that point. Uh, but yeah, uh, no, that might to, have been some of your finest work. Thanks. Back to the traditional format. A couple of weeks with kind of poems, but that was that was old school, classic, classic fare. Inspired by Laz, actually. Be... Laz, I mentioned, didn't you? You, you said oh, yes. Me. You said Sunday. You're like, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's time, Nate, to you know, this race might lend itself to the old format. And I was like, you know what, Lawrence, you are correct, sir. So um, and I, I loved it. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it went down well. Um, it was the best we, one you've done ever. Yeah, I, I genuinely think that was the best one. Oh, fantastic! Well, there in you go. For, in this format, I loved a poem, but in this format, yeah, I get you. I one. get you. Yeah, well, it's all about hanging Bottas's butt in the Louvre. That you can't really, be, you can't really beat that. <laughs> I mean, Fernando Alonso being the only Spaniard to be able to navigate traffic this weekend was also excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just a quick aside on that: how bad was the traffic outside the circuit? And this isn't just us moaning either, because most fans absolutely hated the race there's two people i know who went to the race and they said they will never go to the spanish grand prix again because it was so bad wow. they weren't allowed they weren't the traffic they took them like three hours to get into the circuit both days uh, and they weren't allowed to take water into the grandstands which is ridiculous because it was so hot um so yeah pretty pretty bad from one of the most like established races on the calendar as well you'd think like they would do um yeah they'd be able to organize it anyway sorry quick aside that's just to explain that reference to anyone who didn't know that the traffic was bad the race sold out which was good um it was great to have a big crowd and um, a lot of excitement and once people were in i saw yeah a few uh, social media replies kind of saying yeah it was terrible terribly organized that was all rubbish but the the action on track was great like once they're watching racing and the sessions were on they loved it but just everything that went on around that was um was a bit shocking so um yeah traffic was terribly organized there weren't enough places to get food and drink people couldn't find shade um yeah it, it did sound like a i'll get cut them a bit of slack there was a heat wave and it did get to whatever 37 degrees on sunday and it i don't think that had even been forecast when we flew out so um that came on pretty quickly but b it just looked like it cut too many corners and didn't have enough staff to kind of police it so hopefully that's resolved for the future because it was great to see a huge crowd and it was great that like you say Nate, a really established race kind of got such excitement around it um just everywhere it's going to be like that this year, but it means hopefully other venues kind of learn from the mistake that Barcelona did in terms of being um, undercooked, and it meant that people cooked. There you go. <laughs> oh my word! I'm glad you don't do the jokes, Menace. <laughs> that was that was a solid one out of ten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the the analysis was was you know eight. Yeah, analysis was tremendous. That's what I do. I do analysis. Do you want to do some analysis of Ferrari's performance in Spain? Yes. Uh, it was good, but then it was bad. Because, <laughs> because it was very fast, but then it stopped moving. Um, that's, that's actually pretty, pretty accurate. That's, that's, yeah. as, that's as comprehensive as mine was going to be. Um, uh, I can do Sykes' car if you want. That was less good. Then it was very bad. Then it was kind of okay. Uh, but that was because it wasn't... Uh, at full potential, I believe. I think he, being very bad, uh, damaged the car, which meant that he had a bit of a bit of a fight in his hands after that. So to be fair, fourth place in the end was probably a decent little bit of salvaging. He got lucky with Hamilton, but the rest is kind of all he could do, I think, with a damaged car. So next time, Carlos, don't damage it. Yeah, that's good Wasn't it a gust of wind, though? It was a gust of wind, though. Well, I mean, he's the only one who had a gust of wind that sent him off that dramatically. Max had one that had him have a little trundle. Nobody else went off there without hitting Lewis Hamilton. 
So they were very specific gust of, gusts of wind, weren't they? It was like yeah. there was a, there was a bit of wind there, and it was like, oh, there's signs, wind. Oh, there's Verstappen, wind. Can <laughs> <laughs> I get them? Can I get you boys? Um, <laughs> it's like the ghost of Jean Eric Verne, like a for, like former former Red Bull former Red Bull proteges. Like I'm going to get the Red Bull guys. <laughs> I was trying to go who the yeah. the opposite of Helmut Marco would be, but um, I, I don't know who that would be. There isn't really one. I think uh, that was a good shout though, because Jeb lost his seat, didn't he? When um, they replaced when Ricardo moved up, and then they replaced. Yeah, science um, came in. Jeb. Yeah. Well, and, and then you got Max as well. They had the two of them as rookies. And Jeb was gone. Yeah. There you go. I uh, mean, it, he's un- still alive. Unintentionally great reference. Well, the ghost of his spirit, his Formula One spirit. <laughs> you know, yeah. Jeb, Jeb is alive and well, and we hope that remains to be the case for a long time. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, I don't, well, no, we're not breaking any news here. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, there you go. Maybe they need to look into that. There's ghosts of actual living people at the circuit to Catalonia, which I'm concerned about. Anyway, Ferrari. Um, <laughs> um, do you guys think that this might be the beginning of the end or just another blip? Uh, so I am going to go with the complete opposite. I said this was the one-two that would have worried Red Bull because Ferrari looked rapid and had good tyre um, degradation with Leclerc. And basically, if that car had been stayed reliable, he was winning that race comfortably. Uh, Carlos, like obviously, threw at the scenery, so we didn't get to see his potential. But assuming Charles could be that quick, then that car is rapid. And then Mercedes was in the ballpark with Hamilton's pace, the potential to get ahead of the Red Bulls after what happened, um, or even without what happened. Like if you didn't have Verstappen's off, but you didn't have Hamilton's off, like I think he's right in that mix. So there was every chance that this race could have ended up with Leclerc winning and the Mercedes taking points or put themselves between Red Bull and. Ferrari, or at least stopping Max getting anywhere near Charles, even if he got himself to second. So I think it actually showed it could get a lot harder, even though the outcome was a one-two for Red Bull. I think, um, yeah, that could have been very, very different. So I, I don't think it's the beginning of the end. I think it's the beginning of the beginning of a massive scrap that's going to be great. I think I was really encouraged that they brought their first proper update of the year and it works because Ferrari have in the past not always managed to do that. So I think the very fact, I think you're right, Meadows, I think the very fact that Charles was actually not devastated at the end of that race because he was taking the positives of having a car that he knows potentially actually is a little bit ahead of Red Bull now in terms of race pace based on that tyre management. I think he probably is a little bit, he wasn't so down about it. I think if they had been down and he'd lost the race win, it would have been a little bit different. So I'm pretty excited about how Mercedes have managed to turn things around. I'm going to get stuck in now. Um, Lewis, from Friday onwards was the happiest he's been all year. It was almost a pleasure to interview him because he said words. Um, he was just in really good form. And yeah, okay, fine. He wasn't really in contention on Sunday, but that was because of the incident with Kevin. Um, and we might actually have a three-way fight now for race wins, weekend in, weekend out. Because, um, you know, and the great thing is, I know Carlos is struggling at the moment, but Checo's driving really well. George is driving really well. So it's it's six potential cars of Carlos sorts himself out. And three teams, which I think is great. Yeah, and I think Mercedes have been so kind of bullish about their car. Like we knew they had the issues with it, but it's they always gave the impression as they they thought if we can solve like these issues here, we'll be right at the front. I never for a second believed they didn't think that was true. You know, they weren't just saying it for the sake of it. <clears throat> and you had Horner every week was like, look, Mercedes is going to be back in the mix. So if anything, I do agree with Meadows. I think that um, what Ferrari needs to needs to make sure it does is it needs to be converting this pace into wins now because 
it could come a point later in the season where it's not the quickest car anymore, and they'll look at races like Spain and think, man, like like Meta said, that was a huge chance to to, to win a race very comfortably. They're going to need to get more out of science as well. Um, but yeah, I think the Mercedes Mercedes coming back is fantastic because you look at some of the next races coming up, and I think they'll be kind of there with Red Bull to begin with, and then you know, there's a couple couple where maybe they'll be closer up towards the front, but. Um, I think when you have a grid that's got Lewis Hamilton in it, and we saw what him and Max did last year, like I feel like you need the, the, the two of them up at the front end. It was so good last year. We saw what Russell and Max could do as well. Um, so, yeah, fantastic for the season. And I don't know. I mean, over the course of a year, I still I still think that Russell Hamilton is the strongest driver lineup out of those three teams. And I know they're starting from a long way back, but if their car becomes a legitimate race-winning car from the next race, I still wouldn't bet against them winning the Constructors' Championship. I know they're coming from a long way back, but I think Carlos is really struggling. I think Perez Perez is kind of is, is doing well, but I think that Russell, I think, would be the better second driver. Um, so, yeah, I think that Mercedes, they had, like, it was make or break, is what they kept saying, wasn't it? Like, this is the weekend. So, fair play to them. They got it, they got it, they got it working. But, yeah, also good to see Ferrari get an upgrade right, because I was kind of worried they'd take a massive step back and, like, drop to third or something like that. So, the old narrative of Ferrari seems to be seems to be dead at least for now. Yeah, when you're talking about Mercedes and um, how strong the two drivers look, I'm going to out Nate. But I was sat next to Nate in the media centre this weekend, and during the race, we were enjoying the battling and some fantastic defending from George Russell. So Nate googled the British Defence Minister so that he could then say so and so needs replacing by George Russell. And I don't think you ever did it, did you? Did you I, put that tweet out there? I didn't know because I couldn't, my laptop wouldn't let me print screen and I'm technologically illiterate. So I couldn't, I just didn't do it. Well, I think, uh, I think then short, shortly after that, Max then pitted and I had to focus on the race. I couldn't be, be sat on paint. I could have done it to be honest, but I think it's Ben Wallace MP, secretary of defense in the UK. Not, not for long yeah. either. Soon to be ousted by George Russell. Um, That's that. They, there's the go. tweet in podcast form for Nate. Um, <laughs> Checo did just drive past him pretty much a few laps later, didn't he? So, well, I think that been. might that might have been it as well. Like, you know, it was. I was going to tweet a picture of the two of them. I was like, wow, historic meeting between two uh, ministers of defence from their respective <laughs> countries. <laughs> um, but just a quick aside on Russell, I thought that was like a coming of age moment for him. Like we saw the podium last year, obviously in Belgium, which obviously was built on the, the qualifying performance. But this was like the first time where it's really been like, wow, George is like bloody good. We've, we've known it, but it's the first time we've been able to see it on track and holding Max off like that. Really, really impressive. And um, yeah, it just felt like a really big moment for him. And I, coming at a perfect time as well. Like I wouldn't bet against him. He could win a race before Lewis does in that car, given how he's been driving. So uh, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I, th- I think it was interesting to see. Like He seems to have that 10th at the moment over Lewis in qualifying. Like you can see he's that much more comfortable with the car. And Lewis on Saturday was the only time he was a bit down was he said, if you know, my teammate's fourth, so I should be third or the car should be third or fourth. Um, and he wasn't happy to be. I know he was uh, sixth, but only a tenth off. But it, those margins are how close it is when you've got three teams like that closely matched. But then in race pace, it looked like Lewis had at least what George had. But George was having to drive a totally different race. And I think, like you said, it was the first time we've seen him have to go wheel to wheel with someone like Max. And not have it all against him, like not being a Williams that is, you know, completely out of position or something, and relying on external factors. He was in a car that let him scrap, and he placed it really, really well. Like I heard um, Mercedes complaining that, or not Mercedes, sorry, Red Bull hinting 
that George was moving in the breaking zone. And I think he was moving fairly late, but early enough that he wasn't moving in the breaking zone. And he never got any warning for it. We didn't see anything come up on the um, on the race control screen. And it was very much out of Max's book. It was, you know, make it as late as possible so that the person attacking isn't quite certain and can't quite commit. Uh, and someone like Max knew as well at, at that point in the race, once Leclerc was out, he couldn't lose his front wing or he couldn't get involved in an incident. He needed to um, keep it clean. But then the move at turn one when you know, Max was aggressive and got down the inside. And I actually said, oh, like, oh George, you left you left enough space for him to get down the inside. You left that more than a car's width and started to move back towards the racing line as if he wasn't going to try it. But then for him to use that momentum to get around the outside. And I only saw afterwards, can't remember when I was watching it, um, but I heard some of the commentary. It might have just been um, Bretto's uh, Formula One social media gods that posted the clip of the fight. And it had uh, Crofty and Brundle's commentary over it. And Brundle rightly points it out, because we couldn't hear this in the media centre, but the way George is playing with the throttle through turn one and through turn two, to not only then stay around the outside of Max, but then cut him off, but then hold him up at the apex as well so he doesn't get the switch back. Like, it's all split-second stuff, but it was amazing racing. And um, I think Max probably gained a lot of respect there for George, that he knows the fight he's going to have on his hands um, by going up against him. So uh, I thought that was... Just it was just great to have Mercedes in that mix. Like you said, it'd be, it'd be even better to have Lewis in that mix with Max again to see how they fight each other because it was only what two races ago he was getting lapped, and now you're you're looking at them you know, realistically. Lewis had a quicker race time than Max from lap two onwards. So um, yeah, it's changed very very quickly. And the thing is, now they've solved the problem. They can now start adding performance or getting the performance out of the car, and that is potentially pretty scary for. Ferrari and Red Bull because they can get performance out of a car they don't actually have to update they just need to unlock it now and so I'm, I imagine that's probably kind of what you were saying earlier Meadows about Red Bull saying this was probably one of their toughest one twos or maybe not their most spectacular one twos is Mercedes are coming now and no one really ever wants that so it should be really exciting and we've got quite a few good races coming up Monaco, Baku, Canada they're all very different tracks so it'll be quite interesting to see how they adapt how that kind of affects um performance um between the three of them but yeah i was gonna say does the fact that um it was as i've put it like a one two that will almost worry red bull because of the outside aspects and what ferrari and mercedes showed does that make their team orders call legit does that excuse them i i think it's i think it's too early personally in the year to be doing that i feel like the way that checo reacted suggests that it wasn't it hadn't even been a conversation yet and I, I don't know whether Checo was just doing that and they had talked about it, but I can't. my impression of how he was reacting was, oh, this is like super early in the year. What was that, race six at 22? Yeah, yeah. And okay, you're right. You're, you're right. What we've said is it's going to be close or it's it's going to be, we've said that if the Mercedes come back and they're going to take points of each other, et cetera, et cetera. But I kind of felt for Checo there because um, that was like, Ferrari of old style team orders like just decided from race one essentially that this is how it's going to be and not saying that that's what they're doing is what annoys me it's like I'm, I'm kind of fine with teams having team orders they they're the ones that spend the money pay the drivers that you know worry about the cars and if, if they say that's how we're going to play it you know it could have been that Red Bull come out and went with the pace Ferrari have been showing with the pace Mercedes have got and their potential we feel like we can't afford to let our drivers take points off each other you know Max is the reigning world champion he was the guy that you know, if he didn't have the DRS issue, would have been winning the race. We felt like he deserved the priority. Whatever. Say that. Don't say, 
like oh it wouldn't make sense them to fight each other we didn't want them we didn't want to risk things so we you know screwed Checo over with strategy and and told him to get out the way and told him not to overtake when it would have helped him but if I'm I was really impressed with how calmly Checo took it because you're right that's race six Hungary 2017 so the last race for the summer break a lot later in the season uh, Vettel was leading the championship and leading the race from Kimi uh, and, and Vettel had that steering issue so it was slow and Kimi was kind of playing rear gunner and um, Bottas was third and Hamilton was stuck in fourth and they're in a bit of a train and Merck switched them and let Hamilton have a go at Kimi and then on the last lap Lewis gave the place back to Bottas even though he was trailing Vettel in the championship at that point but ahead of Valtteri uh, and even though it risked Max getting him as well all three of them crossed the line within a second of each other Max was right on uh, Valtteri's tail and they played it very well so Bottas got third Lewis got fourth but even that late in the season they weren't uh, saying you have to get behind Lewis and Lewis needs the points here because Valtteri was close enough. Checo is only 25 points off the championship lead and that's after they switched them. So if they hadn't switched them, and I then assume that Max would have been allowed to get fastest lap because he'd have been in second and fresh tyres and got it there, then uh, Checo would be 13 points off the championship lead after six races and the top two would be tied on 104. And if I'm Perez, I'm like, well, hang on, I'm doing a good enough job to be in the mix here. Like, and he's done, at no point has he been disobedient or he's done everything he's been asked up to now. To to do that that early, I thought was a kick in the balls because that is absolutely certain now that, it, that he's not allowed to win the championship. He's not allowed to win races if Max is in them, essentially, and anywhere near him. Um, and come out and say that then, Red Bull. But if you've checked it, that must have really, really hurt. Even if he's surely knows his place in that team, it must have really, really hurt this early. Checo's driven really well this year, I think. Three second places he's had in six races. He's much closer to um, Max in both qualifying trim and race trim. And I think that that is part of the reason why perhaps internally he feels more aggrieved about the situation because he probably genuinely feels that with the 2022 spec car, he can be in the mix. And now this race proved that, like you said, Meadows, he's probably not going to get a shot this year. Yeah, because if you look at it as well, so they both retired from the first race. Second race, Checo's on pole. And I'm not sure he was quite performing with, like his, his race pace wasn't incredible in the first stint, but he then got screwed by a bad safety car timing and came out like fourth. So that wasn't his fault, essentially. He, there was every chance he could have won that race or been on the podium and had more points in Saudi. Then you're right, second and second. Fourth in Miami was a little bit off the pace at times, but also had the power unit issue that, that held him back and stopped him getting on the podium. And then another second place that he could have won. And the thing is, I get it. Like if they'd let them race, Max might have passed him anyway. Um, but then let them do that. Let them show who's kind of performing better and deserving those points. Don't just hand it to one or the other if you're saying that you don't have a clear number one, number two. But anyway, sorry, Nate. I mean, I kind of disagree with both of you. I think they're completely fine what? to do that. I think if you're Sergio, if you join Red Bull and you don't think that you're number two driver to Max Verstappen, then that's that's on you. You know, they've just given they've just given Max that huge contract. You know, I think when you look back at Danny Rick's decision to leave, he kind of always hinted at the fact he saw the way the things were going that way. I think Max is an incredible driver, so I think he deserves to be that number one. But if that if you flip that situation around, there's no way they give that team order. You know, even even though the car behind was the quicker one. Um so I, I agree with the logic, but I agree with Medicine that I wish they were more honest about it. But I Max Verstappen has won every race he's finished this year. You know, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that he's the Red Bull driver that will win the championship. So I don't, for the sake of seven points, I just don't see why you wouldn't make that switch. Like, you know, Perez still doesn't have a a, tight, a, a contract for next season. Um, 
if you think about the different headaches that Horner could have had, you've got, they both collide at number one, you know, like Weber Vettel 2010. You've got, you try and tell Verstappen not to overtake Vettel's, uh, sorry, overtake Vettel, overtake Perez. So you've got an angry Yoss and Max and probably an angry Helmet as well. Or you just have a slightly angry Sergio Perez, which, you know, who's a really professional, nice guy, um, very, very quick driver, but also is probably, I think is Red Bull are quite lucky in that they have a guy in that seat who is pretty lucky that he got that second opportunity at a race-winning team. We all think Perez is fantastic, but at one point it looked like his career was just kind of going to kind of flitter out in the midfield. So I hate the idea of team orders from a competitive point of view, but if you're Red Bull and you're, you're trying to win both championships, that's the only decision you make, especially with Max without DRS. I think that the issue there for me, if the, I think if he had DRS, they would have just let them race it out. The question mark over the DRS to me anyway, complicated that fight. You know, Max was the quicker car and I think they would have raced fairly, but all you need is two slight misunderstandings or something to happen. I mean, look at Magnussen and Hamilton on lap one. That was a racing incident. You had Magnussen probably misjudging the grip slightly on the outside. Lewis probably slightly understeering through the corner and they collide and they both go off. That's all you need to happen. And if your two, if your two cars collide, you look like absolute chumps at the end of the day. So I think Red Bull made the right call. And at the end of the season, if it, if, especially, especially on the back of a season where literally last year, Lewis and Max went into the championship level on points. I don't see why you would even, even if it's six races in or 10 races in or 15 races in, why would you consider a situation where you take points off Max? I don't think that makes sense. So to me, it made sense. I don't like team orders particularly, but I think on a case by case basis, you, you have to look at them like that. So that's what I think. But So I'm not, I'm not just focused on, it's not about the end of the race. Cause I do get that point too, but there was a point, um, like was it like 26 Checo had made his first stop later like mm. he'd, he'd run longer had fresher tires came flying up behind Max who couldn't get past George who was holding Max up and and potentially risking their chance of winning the race in, in some senses because of the fight they were having Checo comes cruising up behind him having already got out the way for Max after Max went off so Max makes a mistake Checo then has to give up race time to let Max ahead of him and then when Max when Checo catches up expecting the, the favor returned so he can try and make his two stop work they're like no stay where you are ruining his whole race now if they say yeah Max get out of the way because you've not got DRS you're on different strategies which they were this car's on the quicker one this isn't a case of you know that was the point like that was the role reversal of later in the race Checo comes up quicker let him go because as we saw once they pit Max out the way which is about three laps after Checo had caught them and been told stay where you're at Checo got through on George a lot quicker now if he'd been allowed to do that straight away so that his strategy had the chance of working out, Lewis actually essentially two-stopped because of when he made his first pit stop and was rapid. Um, Magnus had one-stopped effectively from the back and actually wasn't that slow. He was just so det- detached from everything that he just wasn't in a race with anyone. Like The two-stop could have worked. They certainly didn't know it wouldn't at that stage. And Checker wasn't allowed to try because it might affect Max's race. They completely screwed his race from long before halfway. And it's like... They should have let that go. I admit, maybe if then, after it's all played out and Checo's leading kind of comfortably and Max comes through on the two on the three stop and is within range, you might then have that decision to make. And I'd kind of say it, that's acceptable. You've kind of let it play out and gone, right, now we don't want you two taking each other out. That's just Bretto's so excited he's throwing his microphone <laughs> out. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't want trouble at, late on. But I, I feel like, yeah, it was from, it's almost from like lap one. It's like, if you get ahead of Max, get out of his way. Like, and to me, Max Verstappen doesn't need that. He's far too good. Um, and people have talked about Lewis struggling this year and then been like, see, it's all in the car or whatever. But you cannot argue that Lewis has not had that sort of priority in any team he's been in at any stage at this point of a season. It's far like 
Mercedes have always said to both drivers, go and prove which one of you should be backed. And they know that Lewis Hamilton is going to be the one that proves it. But they've said, you know, go and do it. You're the drivers. You've got to go and earn, earn the right to be the person we back. Red Bull are not saying that. They're saying, you know, Max Verstappen is all we're backing. Kind of fine. But but if you're going to do that, come out and say it from the from the word go. Don't don't lie to people and say, no, oh, no, no. Like the circumstances meant that that just wouldn't be fair. Um, as you say, clearly they've gone, Verstappen's our, our, our driver and he's going to win us on the championship. But say it because it just doesn't reflect well to um, try and pretend that you're being fair when you're not. Um, and crit- I'm pretty sure we've heard Horner as well in recent years saying, you know, how Red Bull don't have number one and number two drivers and that, that Mercedes do with Hamilton and Bottas back in the day. So um, yeah, that's true. I, I kind of disagree with that kind of hypocrisy, really. Yeah, agreed on the hypocrisy side. I think it is funny that you can use Christian Horner quotes to directly contradict like other Christian Horner quotes from like just depends on the timestamp you put on them, which is always funny. Um, yeah, I agree. And that is a really good point that you brought up Hungary 2017 because it always surprises me when fans go, Lewis has always had preferential treatment when he really, he really hasn't had that. There was one race in Hungary where they made Rosberg move out of the way for him and one in Monaco where, but both of those, Rosberg was like clearly the slower guy, much, much slower. Um, yeah, I remember that Bottas when he like he he gave the position back and was fine with it. Um, but I think that that I think that this is the thing you've got to look at now with beating Max to championships going forward is that he is the guy that Red Bull are going to favour, and that as well is why for Leclerc like losing a, a nailed on win like that for me is a is is a much bigger disaster than it might it might seem right now because ultimately in most situations Red Bull are going to give the win to Max and. Um, I, and by the way, for people listening, like I really like Sergio Perez. Like, he's a fantastic driver, um, probably one of the top five in F1. His issue is that his teammate is probably the best, if not joint best with Lewis right now. Um, and the whole team is just kind of geared around Max winning a championship. And here's the thing, <clears throat> Red Bull as well, they didn't lose anything by doing that, did they? Like in terms of constructors. So to them, it doesn't matter. But you're right. I think now you can turn around to Horner and just be like, look, you know, you do have a, <laughs> you clearly have a number one. Um, and on on the subject of Horner kind of contradicting himself, I did, I really enjoy when Red Bull kind of criticise like Russell, or they say like, oh, Russell was a bit over the limit there. It's like, dude, this is literally what Max has been doing for the last five years. Like, <laughs> you can't you can't turn around and suddenly say these, you know, oh, it was right on the limit there. It's like, yeah, and Max has made that okay. So like, deal with it and get over yourselves. So um, yeah, I think I think if Red Bull were more honest about the team they are, then that would be fine. Um, but from a from a team decision, I I totally get it. Um, but yeah, team orders do kind of suck, but at the same time, like, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and make that call like on this pod, but when you're on the pit wall, you know, and you kind of see everything there, um, I get it. At least it wasn't like a Ferrari style, like Barrichello moves out the way to two, two meters from the line to let Schumacher win the race or something. Cause, cause that would have been like a really like sad way to end that race. At, at least like it was like still 15 laps or so from the finish. Like it didn't seem like it was right on the verge of Perez, Perez winning it. So um so yeah i think um ultimately i'm 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 okay with it i'm not as i'm not as against it as you two were by the sounds of it yeah i think i mean the way it played out because again going back to that first very briefly going back to that first stint or second after the first stop where Perez was told to hold station and not allowed to play out his strategy um if he had been allowed to play it out he'd have been further up the road by that final stint and he would have had a good fight between the two of them or it would have been way closer but because they'd held him back, by the time Max came through, yeah, you're right, with like 15 to go, he was quicker and yeah, there was long enough to go that it kind of dampened it a bit. As soon as they said to Checo, get out of the way, you're like, oh, okay. And then Max cruises to the finish with uh, quite a run still left. 
Whereas it would have been different if they'd have let them both just do their quickest races from earlier. But um, it's also because it's fun to watch. You want to see these. These are great drivers. Like say Checo is too. You want to see them like racing. You you don't want a race that's kind of neutralized. You know, when you get something like this where um, one Merck's out the back, one Ferrari struggled, one Ferrari's retired. Um, Russell was the only kind of thorn in the Red Bull side. And once he was cleared, you want to see them still racing. You don't want to know, well, that's that. And I know it's realistic, but you want to see it. But when was the last time, like, cast your mind back, when was the last time you remembered seeing a genuinely good fight between two teammates on track, like a wheel, a wheel-to-wheel fight between two, two teammates? It just doesn't happen. Because teams, if they're not... That was a blatant team order, but a lot of the time teams are organising their strategy to make sure their cars don't end up on the same piece of tarmac, on the same strategy, able to fight each other. So team orders does exist in a much kind of more subtle way this was just a case where they're like, shit, our two drivers are literally like the faster car is behind, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm saying faster in terms of have the fresher tires is behind the one which is slower, but the one that's quicker doesn't have DRS either. You know, usually they would keep them together. If you actually look back, I can't remember a time when you had an epic, like lap long duel for a position between teammates because every single time a team gets on the radio and says, hey, look, let's, let's keep this clean. He's quicker than you, whatever, or hold position here. Look at the McLarens last year. Lando wanted to go and attack Danny Rick for the win, and McLaren said, no, that's a team order. That's the same thing. Still saying you can't go race him. And no one afterwards was saying, oh, it's outrageous that McLaren didn't let Norris fight Daniel for the win because it, was, it would have been his first victory, but it was like well, it made complete sense at the time. So as, and, and I was kind of, that would have been great to see the two McLarens fight, but what, it would have been awful if the two McLarens had like collided and you know, had, had just squandered that, that lead. So I think that team orders kind of gets a bad rap because everyone talks about the team orders you see on track whereas teams are always making sure their teammates don't have any reason to collide on track together so i kind of i think that um that's worth considering as well because i, I might be missing a really obvious example of when two teammates have had a really good scrap but you if, if you actually think back about it all the good wheel-to-wheel scraps are between drivers on different teams and their teammates if you look over the course of a race you know you're like, right, he's on the A strategy, he's on the B strategy, and usually the B strategy is the one that is slower than the A strategy, and that's usually the lead car gets the A, the a strategy. So to me, I, and look, and it was a shame in this case because Max made a big mistake, which kind of he got away with in the end because of how it played out at the end. So from that perspective, I do understand why you'd be pissed off at it, and Perez certainly didn't do anything to that point to deserve the team order either. But to be annoyed at this team order when teams are kind of doing that all the time anyway, I don't think... To me, anyway, it, it it just it was just a more obvious example of team orders when they're kind of playing out all the time. I don't have you on this pod to talk sense and get <laughs> angry, Nate. I'm not like it's probably the f- for next week. All right, I want first, rage. I want- first time for everything. I thought I'd I thought I'd throw some logic down, but wow. Well, you definitely haven't taken your foot off the gas, Nate. Have you? Well, I just um, I, I was sat here like I can't be complacent today. This final point. So well, well, yeah. well this, this and you've gone for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, talking about racing point that are now Aston Martin, that leads me nicely into uh, the Aston Martin quiz night that, that we was had beautiful, on Lawrence. Thursday. <laughs> that was the most beautiful segue I've ever seen in my life. You set, you set me up, mate, so I appreciate that. You might get a bonus point next time out. <laughs> they celebrated in the background. Um, so thanks to Aston Martin for hosting the first media quiz of the year. I was very fortunate to be on a team with uh, our very own Chris Medland, plus Lawrence Edmondson and Ben Hunt of The Sun. And uh, Meadows, we went and uh, we won. But we didn't just win. We won quite well, didn't we? 
<laughs> it's smug. We did. <laughs> um, so we called ourselves, our team name was Thank You Brian, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, I actually reckon we can drop the audio into this um, because it wasn't from a race weekend. It was from the Aston Martin launch last year where uh, Lawrence Strott was just very funny the way he uh, changed the subject from the team and their title partners to James Bond. So I'll find that clip and drop it in after this, just give myself some more editing to do. But here's the clip. Thank you, Brian. Changing the subject slightly, I think we're all looking forward to seeing No Time to Die. And we're all laughing at it, even though we haven't <laughs> just heard it live. Lol, ha ha, wow. Never gets Magic old. Never no. gets old. Um, so that was our team name. And yeah, we did very well. There's four teams of four. Um, a lot of experienced heads in there. We had uh, there was a sky table as well. Um, and yeah, we just seemed to nail it. We had a good balance, really. Uh, ben Hump's very good at the music round. Uh, Lawrence Evanson was very good at pretty much everything. Um, it was strange. He's not the oldest on that team, but he seemed to know the most about anything that had happened kind of pre from 80s onwards or earlier. Um, so yeah, I was very impressed with Evanson. I'm trying to remember what we offered up really, Barreto, but um, your handwriting was very, very neat on the paper. I, yeah, uh, I feel like that was my strength was the handwriting um, and making sure we got the answers down on paper. Um, yeah. We were, I think you and I were pretty decent on the the racing helmets and the circuits and the formal yeah, elements pictures, to it. Pictures we had to do, picture round. Um, and then there was a round where we watched uh, a clip from Moonraker. And we had to just say, like, note down loads of things, and then they ask questions, see what we can remember. So, having watched Question of Sport all these years, I felt like that was one of my my strong points. But I was no good on the um, on the music round where Ben Hunt and you smashed it, and on the yeah. general knowledge round, like, didn't Lawrence come up with like a great answer? The coat it was the Coke. Yeah, there's some the sort of question. Yeah, in standard fashion, as you can now tell, we are into the point of we won a quiz, so we're going through question <laughs> oh, by question yeah. what they were and and, and how clever this, we were. This but could yeah. be worse than this could be worse than golf chat. Golf. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but anyway, like that was that was one about like the massive PR disaster of New Coke, which uh, Evanson got. So we we did very well. I think that the other three teams were split by about four points uh, in total, and then we won by about eight points, which was nice. Uh, and it won us. Uh, we got a signed team cap uh, signed by both drivers. We've got a Lance Stroll mini helmet, which mine is already in the background of my shot here. And it's a nice, nice lid, that, the, the green one with the Aston wings. Uh, we've got a pair of sunglasses. And then they pitched us against each other. The ultimate twist in the tail, where the four of us who had just helped win the quiz as a team were suddenly no longer teammates. We had to go head to head to guess uh, a number that was um, based on the Aston Martin DBX. And it was the 0 to 60 time. Uh, 0-100k time in seconds uh, the horsepower and the top speed added together and uh, whoever won whoever got closest would win a weekend with an Aston DBX which is very cool and we decided uh, now this would make for a great episode as well and Nate you sadly will have to just put up with us telling a story if we do this but we decided before the final like tiebreaker to win that that we were all going to still win together and whoever got the closest answer would probably have the car delivered to them or we'd all have to go to Aston Martin to collect it. And we're just all going to pile in because it's got four seats. And we're going to drive as far as we can on day one of the two days you get it. Uh, and then on day two, turn around and come back. Because I reckon we could get the Copenhagen or somewhere like that. I'm quite keen. Um, now, Aston were not pleased to hear that there might be high mileage put on this car. But I reckon we should do it for, for the content, for the pod content. So, I mean, they've just had a load of plugs. Um, so... Um, yeah, I can see how excited Nate is with this chat. You want to get to the beach. 
You want to get the beeps, don't you? Well, as much as I love hearing about quiz chat, I, I love even more <laughs> hearing hearing people talk about taking a, a, a drive in an Aston Martin that I won't be in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, but no, I mean, sounds sounds thoroughly thoroughly deserved. I mean, you know, if I'd been there, I think I'd you know I think I'd have been a contender for the uh, well for I don't know for the worst teammate ever on a quiz. <laughs> Um, but no, it sounds fun to be honest. I'd be, I'd be excited about it as well. I'm just, it's, at, le- at least you're not talking about golf. If this is a step up from golf chat, then we're fine. As long as you don't use the, as long as you don't use this car to drive to a golfing venue, I'm, I'm fine with it. Oh no, I just made just giving you favorite things put together. Yeah, I love it. I think we should oh definitely God. do that. I saw, I saw a light bulb went off in Lawrence's mind. The four yeah. of us do play golf as well. Like I know what, uh, what have I done? Car, so that could happen. What have I done? Oh man, I'm, I'm an idiot. I am. This, this is see. This is complacent, me. I didn't even think. Didn't even think about it. <laughs> well, then think about this, Nate. How excited are you to go to Monaco when you finally get to go? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm buzzing for Monaco. Um, I went in 2019. One of the first journalists to get the triple crown. Um, having done <laughs> oh, Indy, <laughs> having done Indy, Le Mans, and Monaco. You know, I mean. Look, Joe Sayward is coming for you right now. Yeah, look, I, you know, I don't like it. Look, it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, guys, come on. That's not, you know, I'm sure it's the same for every, if Lance Stroll would be like, it's the same for everybody. But, uh, um, (laughs) but no, I'm excited. I mean, Monte Carlo is cool. I'm excited to see what it's going to be like in terms of, um, like, we've had Miami, we had Spain, two very, very different races. You kind of know what you're getting with Monte Carlo, but it's still pretty amazing. And the grid is going to be probably as packed as Miami. So I think it'll feel a bit more like that. Um, but again, the same question from a racing point of view is, is it going to be any good? And I think everyone's going this year thinking like, well, how many times are we going to get to go to this place? Because I'm not convinced Formula One are that keen to keep it. I mean, we can talk about this probably more next week. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it feels good to go before we lose the chance to go. Let's just put it that way. Silence on the other end. <laughs> St- well, stunned silence. Lawrence doesn't know what to say. I don't <laughs> Nate, Nate Saunders cancels the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. I'm going to give people a teaser. I think Formula One would be fine without the Monaco Grand Prix. I don't think we need it. I'm, I'm here for, uh, I mean, the early weather forecast, if I check my phone again, but I'm pretty sure it's for a wet one, which would mean we could have an absolute classic and then you're going to have to defend it after a classic. Yeah, saying <laughs> Sunday, 80% chance of rain right now. I mean, it's on, it's on iPhone weather, so it's normally wrong, but... Um, it's set up for a classic, and that will be a lot nicer in many ways than the sweltering heat we just had. So, fingers crossed it rains and we well, get a belt. If I slag it off next week and it's a classic, I'm also going to take next week. Yeah. Well, I can't slag it off next week because I'll be off the race. I'm, I'm not thinking straight, guys. This is complacent, Nate. I, I think the time has come, Nate, for us to, to release I can you. See, in I, can the see the sun out, I, I can see the sun outside my window now, so I want to go. I want to get out. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start there. talking to people I... about team orders on the beach. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to go talk to people about quizzes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go get a haircut. So there we go. Yeah, <laughs> you need it. Listeners, you can't see, but there's more. It's hair. Ace Ventura like at the moment. Yeah, than, than there is like, you know, when you see someone's head and then the hair is like, you know, I don't know, 20% on top of the head. No. Pareto's the other way around right now. His, his <laughs> face is like 20% and his hair is like another 80 on top. It's incredible. And on that note, let's leave it there, shall we? Thanks very much for your time, chaps. You can read Mendes' work on race.com, Nate's work on ESPN.com, and my work on F1.com. Please remember to hit the subscribe button and follow us on our social channels. 
We'll do this again very, very soon. Bye. Adios. Podcast Network.